Welcome to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm your host, Pauline Fromer, and we're talking about one of our most popular topics. And I'm talking, of course, about Italia, Italy. We now have uh, two guidebooks out to Italy because it's such a beloved destination. One of them is about to hit bookstore shelves, so we have one of the authors on uh, today's show. She is Elizabeth Heath. She is the author, one of the authors of Fromer's Rome, Florence, and Venice. Hey, Elizabeth, nice to speak with you. Thanks for joining me on the Fromer Travel Show. Thank you. It's great to be here. So tell all of our listeners where you are right now. Well, I am sitting on a hill in Umbria. I have lived here for 12 years. I'm about um, 20 minutes from Orvieto is the largest, I would say, touristic right. uh, destination near me. And you returned about an hour and a half ago from Firenze. You were in Florence for the last couple of days. Yeah, it had been my first visit there for a while. I was in Florence, and then I was also on the Versilia coast, which is um, a part of the Tuscan coast that I had never visited before either. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, that was really interesting. Well, let's get some of the, I don't want to say the bad news out of the way first, but let's get, I think the burning question for probably a lot of people listening to this show is, how is Italy doing? I can't say post-pandemic because who knows when this thing will fully end, but, you know, Italy was hit hard and early. How is the country dealing with that now? Well, you know, it is kind of an ongoing situation, yeah, like it is everywhere, right? Sure. We, yeah. It does feel too soon to say post-pandemic, but post-worst of it. And Italy is planning to kind of resume business as usual as of the 1st of May. Hmm. So, you know, we were, um, along with, uh, I guess, most countries in the in the European Union, you know, have been working with this green pass system. So which was basically, or you call a COVID passport or where we've had to show our vaccination. Uh, you'd have to show that you were either vaccinated or recently recovered from COVID to uh, enter into restaurants, museums, uh, certain businesses to have a coffee standing at the bar. Uh, and this is all going away as of May 1st. Wow. And of course, for travelers from the U.S., this means there's no testing required uh for you to enter the country as there was before, you know, getting that PCR test within the right window of time was always uh, a big stressor for people. I know. Sure, coming sure. In. And, so, but you, you still have to show that you're vaccinated, correct? As of May 1st, you no? will not have to show, well, you will not have to show proof of vaccination, proof wow. of having recovered from COVID or uh, th- this is this is the latest. As I mean, as of right now, this is what is supposed to happen. And of course, this is going to be true in not just for travelers coming into Italy, but for all of us in Italy to just kind of start going about our our business without having to you know flap uh, take out our phone or show you know and show our little app that has the that has the QR code on it. Um, now I say this. At the same time that, you know, there is, there has been a, another wave of cases here, of positive huh. cases. We've got yeah. the Omicron. I think it would be very hard for the, because the government has very, has, has made a really big announcement around this, right? So I think it would be at this point almost impossible for them to walk this back, hmm. regardless, honestly, regardless of what happens in the next uh, six weeks, four to six weeks. But 
I'm, I mean, this is above my pay grade too. Obviously. Right. Sure. Sure. But sure. Just, just given that that people are just so. I mean, we're all ready for for this to be over, right? Of course. Our readiness. Our readiness. COVID doesn't care how ready we are um, yeah. for for it to be over, but it's just you know there's this this complete exhaustion. Yeah. Um, I think that's worldwide. The mask, the mask mandates are going to go away too. Wow. Isn't that amazing? So when we were updating our guidebooks, and I should say that after the pandemic lockdowns, when it looked like travel was resuming, that's when we started to update a whole slew of different guidebooks. I updated New York. Uh, We had Anna Brooks in Paris updating Mm -hmm. Paris. And for my New York book, I lost a full 30% of the restaurants and hotels that were in that book. They just all went out of business. Uh, so mm. it was heartbreaking to see what yeah. happens to the city. That being said, a lot a lot of new ones are coming online, a lot of new restaurants. There were record restaurant permits issued last year. Mm-hmm. Anna in Paris told me, because the French government did so much to kind of shore up small businesses, she lost almost no restaurant. She she lost actually no restaurants or hotels from her book and had more to add. How are the businesses of Italy coming out of this pandemic? I think it varies from city to city. In Rome, it it there's a there are an awful lot of shuttered storefronts there and lots of long established you know, like the shoe store that's been in business for generations for 60 70 years is no longer there and uh. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like um, I'm still reeling from Century 21 closing in New York. So I remember when I I read the article that you wrote about that, I was like, oh, no, just. Yeah, there are rumors that may come back. But anyway. I hope so. Yeah. (laughs) I hope so. Because I always come to New York with an empty suitcase. But Hmm. um, specifically for Century 21. But, yeah, I know in in Rome, I think what and I I think this is going to happen elsewhere, too, is that. I've seen it more on the retail side, definitely. Huh. Um, they're just places that just couldn't survive. They couldn't right. because they not only did they depend on on tourism, but they depended on local business too. And you know, people were just shutting their homes for. We were we were under lockdown for what was it three months? Right. Where everything non-essential, it's just it was a non-starter. So in so, Florence, on the well, other hand, before we leave Rome, before we leave Rome. Uh, so we, we've lost a lot of shops there. Mm-hmm. What about hotels and restaurants? Did those survive? Uh, restaurants, for the most part, have survived. There's new openings there. And Rome is going crazy with hotels right now. Huh. Um, yeah, there's been this huge influx, a huge, I mean, a big influx of new hotels in the city. And they're, they, you know, they're mostly brand name. I was say brand names like the W Soho House, uh, hmm. the Hoxton opened last year. There's a new so not Mama very shelter. Roman. So it's these multinational no, chains. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you do lose that, that local feel to it, that, that sense. Some of these sort of lack that sense of place. That I think that I know for me when I when I travel, you know, that's kind of what you want to feel in the hotel you're at, in the restaurants, everything. What they have done though is these uh, these hotels have really trendy, interesting eating and drinking venues that are bringing in residents, local residents mm. too. So they're not just places that are for guests, but oh. they've become sort of hot spots for you know not night spots, things like that. Great places to go for coffee or for lunch or for aperitivo. So they're bringing that to the table. 
to the table, I guess. And then there are a lot of smaller boutique properties too. There's been a huge um, uh, boom in luxury in Rome. Mm. And I I was at a conference, I was in Florence for a, for a travel conference and something like one of the people told me that something like 1300 new rooms are coming online wow. in the next, in the next year. And, but 1300 just in the luxury category. Oh, but what about budget? I was going to say with 1300 yeah. new rooms, will that mean prices are going down or no? I don't think we're going to see prices going down. Uh, I mean, luxury, luxury in Italy, I guess the difference is that it can run the gamut between a 300 euro room and a 1500 euro room. Wow. Um, and those can both have those can you can find those both at five star hotels, not necessarily at the same five star hotel. But um, the definition is there's, I guess, sort of a wide definition of luxury. But what what's happening certainly in Rome is um, that. You're missing that. I mean, you know, most people who most people uh, investors who have the kind of money to put into hotels aren't necessarily interested in putting them into three and four star hotels where they're charging, you know, 150, 200 euros a night mm, or something. Yeah. So interesting. It, it's unfortunate for the average traveler to Rome, you know, who are not disposed to spend uh, 600 euros on a hotel night, something. Sure. Will, we're, will, we're will they be? That middle ground. You're losing the middle ground. What about Airbnb? Is that picking up the slack for that? Well, I mean, that's, that's been here, you know, for, for several years now. It's at, and it, it's kind of, Airbnb is, it's, is, as I know you're well aware, has its own set of problems because for example, the Centro Storico, the interior of Venice, there aren't many Venetians living there anymore. Mm, yeah. Um, these are places where it's almost impossible for a local resident to find to rent an affordable apartment hmm. because everything has been converted to Airbnbs. Wow. Landlords make more money off of Airbnbs than they do off of a long term, a long term right. renter. Right. So now before. You know, Go ahead. Sorry, before we no, leave no, no. Rome, that's the, that's the flip. That's the flip side. I know that's a, that's an issue with Airbnb and VRBO yeah. everywhere, but absolutely. Sure. Before we leave Rome, what's been so exciting to me has been seeing. I, I felt like the Italians made pretty good use of the uh, touristic pause that happened with the pandemic right. in. Right. Uh, like buffing up or reopening a lot of historic sites, many from ancient Rome, right? I mean, they're, they're yeah. going to be redoing the the Colosseum, uh, so that you can see where the uh, where they perform. Can you call them performers? <laughs> the the fighters were, uh, so you could see that maze like place. It's sort of voluntary, doesn't? It? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right. It's my job. You know, my, my career path was to be a gladiator or, or a combatant in the in the arena. Uh, but yeah, the, the Rome, Rome, I mean, Rome and Italy more broadly did sort of use the time kind of to regroup. I mean, there were all these conversations going on before about over tourism and and how us, you know, city, the big three, Rome, Florence, Venice, um, how they could address this and the pause, the great pause gave them a chance to to sort of tackle some of these things and what you're talking about too is certainly you know buffing up the the um the monuments and attractions and increasing access to those areas like those areas of the Colosseum that weren't um that weren't previously open to the public or only in a limited capacity um the mausoleum of augustus that had been promised for 
decades that that was going to reopen. That is opened mm. now, too. Uh, so, yeah, um, th- there have been some positive to come from this you know, really terrible, terrible experience that uh, I know the whole world, but it seemed like it like we were sort of the test case for, for how bad things could get, you know? Yeah. Uh, So to come out of the, to come out of the other side of it with some positives is. Yeah, no, absolutely. Our different tour companies re-engineering their tours in light of these new sites opening. I mean, is, is this going to shape the way people uh, tour the ancient sites of Rome? Do you think? I don't, no, if it, I mean, it, it shapes how people tour the, the ancient sites and partly because you have to plan ahead a little bit more than you used to. I'm not sure I'm answering your question exactly, but, um, no, but that's good be, advice. Tell people about that. That's yeah. important. Well, what was already happening before, before the, you know, the dark times was that advanced ticketing systems were being instigated at at, ver- at the big sites, you know, at the, the, the Uffizi in Florence, uh, the Doge's Palace in, in Venice, the Colosseum, certainly. Um, the Vatican Museum, thank goodness, had already started an advanced ticketing system. Anybody who ever waited in line in the, you know, that un- yeah. under the blazing sun to enter <laughs> into the Vatican Museum knows exactly what I'm talking about and be grateful to the Pope and whomever else that that uh, you can just, you know, reserve a time slot to go in. Right. So this was already happening. And um, then it where it wasn't already in place, it had to be instigated because the, when the places did reopen, they had to limit the number of people that could go in at a time. So mm-hmm. that meant advanced reservations. And a lot of places have just decided to keep it, you know, because it works with crowd control. And uh, I mean, you're still going to find huge crowds in the Vatican museums. I have no doubt about that. And it remains to be seen again once, you know, the 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 hammer comes down on May 1st. What What is it going to look like, you know, when they really do open the floodgates and people can come back at capacity? But what it means for a traveler is that you do have to plan ahead a bit more. So I think it'll it'll mean less spontaneity. Like you can't necessarily wake up and say, you know, let's go to the Coliseum today. Mm, no, you're going to have to have reserved that spot, you know, at least probably a few weeks prior. There are always some same day tickets available, but it's not something you would count on. Right. Um, I, I wouldn't count on it. I, I do not have that capacity for spontaneity when I travel. <laughs> and it's especially if it's something you don't want to miss out on. Yeah, know? absolutely. So. No, that's excellent advice. And that's not just Italy, but worldwide. I think a lot of yeah. places are, have put in systems to help with social distancing at the height of the pandemic and realized right. it made, made it easier for them to plan their staffing, you know, how yes. much money yeah. they'd spend on food, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, Florence, you just were in Florence. Mm-hmm. What's new there? Florence, to me, seemed crowded, but I asked my taxi driver, and he's like, "Oh, this is nothing. Like, mm-hmm. it's not crowded yet. It's 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 um you the student groups haven't returned yet, and he, of course, he said, you know, after Easter is when it'll really start to pick up because mm-hmm. um, Florence too was. Had had a, a good year there that it was just closed. Right, um, there was was good without without the incoming um, incoming international tourism. So Florence again being one of those cities that has been sort of afflicted with over tourism, 
has taken steps to try to manage that and use this downtime and try to figure out, you know, how can we do a better job of this? Uh, there's the, the, um, the city tourism office has introduced a new app called Feel Florence. Hmm. Um, so it's the, it's www.feelflorence.it. IT is the Italy, um, right. suffix for, for, uh, for websites. And it's an app that provides real time information on how crowded, uh, different sites are. It allows you to buy, t- uh, to reserve your museum tickets, hotel, uh, recommendations, place recommendations of places to eat. And it's also trying to drive traffic to lesser known sites in the, within the city and on the city periphery, um, recommending alternatives. Hey, the Uffizi's booked, but have you been to the Bargello? That's just, huh. you know, not, that's right, right around the corner, sort of, relatively speaking. Um, and, you know, maybe a place that's not, as not, not so much on the radar of, um, a visitor to the city and also getting people out to some of the towns that are on the periphery of Florence where there are castles and, you know, famous works of art and Leonardo da Vinci ate here and things, you know, a little bit of a, not, not exactly, but, but that's kind of the idea too. And they are also, um, working with their, you know, there's a, such a huge influx of, international students in Florence, mostly American students who come there every summer. And they're working with the, you know, in the doing a different kind of coordination of that to try to give the students who come a sense of, hey, you're living here now. Hmm. This is your home now. So treat it that way. Interesting. You know, this yeah. isn't just, so the, the, those are interesting to see how that's going to play out. And of course, this is all, you know, it's all well and good again until the crowds really do come back. Right. What's it going to look like then? You know, we all remain hopeful. I got to say, my daughter was there probably, I think it was late May last year. And okay. she, she had never been before. And so she kind of just wandered around and encountered no crowds. It was just a, a miraculous time to be there. But from what you're yeah, saying, it really is. But that's I mean, going that's away. Yeah, I, I think it's going to go away. I mean, it, it is such a nice time right now to be visiting Italy and to be in all these places that are usually just, you know, this overwhelmed with this sort of massive humanity. Um, imagine like, you know, standing in front of the Mona Lisa and not having hundreds and th- or thousands of people around you all jostling for the same photo. Yeah. And these are the opportunities that are that Italy affords now. Yeah, How absolutely. long is it going to remain that way? Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, the dark, the downside of that is that this is, means that the people aren't here. The business isn't here. The plus side of that is that if you have the fortune to come, it's, it's just a fabulous time to be here. Well, speaking about over-touristing uh, over mm-hmm. destinations or over-touristed, I should say, uh, there mm-hmm. had been talk that the Venice government was going to install turnstile-like apparati uh, that would count how many people were coming into the historic center of Venice yeah. and stop people at a certain point right. when the city began right. to get too crowded. Is that going to happen? I mean, think how bad it has to be that that was even a thing that they yeah. were considering, right? Turnstile center in the city. There hasn't been any recent talk of it, um, but, hmm. you know, they also didn't have we went two years without having this huge influx of people. Sure. Um, 
they did actually go through in terms of, again, going back to this thing like, you know, Italy, this idea that Italy used this time to really sort of take stock. They actually went through with the cruise ship ban, seeing that they had been talked talk, talked about and talked about and talked about for so long. Yeah. And now, uh, I mean, I don't know if you'd ever been there when, when one of these ships came in past past San Marco. I mean, I, I know people who live in Venice that said that their houses shook wow. when these ships came down the canal. So what is that doing to not only aesthetically, you know, what is this doing to Venice, but what is this doing to like the, the literal foundations of Venice right. um, when these, these great ships came through? So now uh, ships that are greater than 180 meters, which by my calculations comes out to like just under 600 feet, can no longer pass by Canola pass through the Grand Canal and and uh, um, and they're going to stick yeah. by that because they had been banned in the past and then they kind of a new government right. came in and it, it, the know. ban was overturned. Right at the moment, the ban is in place. Wow! Uh, so ships are going to uh, another an, a sort of an industrial area outside of Venice now. For cruise ship passengers, of course, this means that they don't get that swoon-worthy, you know, drive-by of Venice, um, and instead they're taken to this other destination, just this other location, and presumably bust into Venice, and then from there you get onto the to the um, navetti that take you around. I mean, it, it's a process, right? It's it's not a it's not seamless, right. um, but it also is presumably going to to curb some again some of those i mean cruise ships were sometimes dumping and dumping i shouldn't say that um responsible for i want to say it was an an addition 30 30, no like thirty thousand people a day in the in the centro of venice yeah um so just the great just the, the the density of people in these in this tiny city with these narrow streets and uh is a, is a lot. Right. Uh, so that being said, I have been in Venice, you know, in pre-pandemic times in on one of the most crowded weekends there and going in another direction, walk away from San Marco, walk away from Rialto, and you really do get away from the crowds, mm-hmm. even at the worst of it. Um, so it's always a good time. I mean, anywhere, anytime you're in Venice, it's a good time to explore these other sestieri, they're called, is what the, the names of the neighborhoods are, the Canareggio, Dorsadura, the Arsenale area, where right now the Venice Biennale is going to be opening. It was it was oh. shuttered two years ago, too. And the Biennale is back uh, and it's going to, is opening, oh, gosh, end of April, beginning Explain of May. Explain what that okay. is for listeners who might not know. So the Biennale is a, <laughs> now I have to figure out what Biennale. Not Isn't it every other Biennale. year? It's every two years. Yeah. It's an international art show. Um, but there, then periodically there's one de- dedicated to architecture, um, to dance, to music. The The most famous one, I guess, is the Art Biennale. And mm-hmm. that's the one that's, um, that's, taking, that's taking place. Uh, right now. Getting ready to or open. Soon. And there are... Um, participating countries have a pavilion and they bring artists um, from the, from those, from each country to exhibit in the pavilion or their installations throughout the city. So it's a very big international art event. Um, But it's also one that is very, I'd say 
it's it's easy to for for just a, a anyone coming to Venice to feel like they're participating in it. I would say in right. the sense that you can go to you can just pop into a to a country's um, pavilion and and see as much or as little as you want to see. And there's just the whole city's just infused with art during this period. I've, I mean, I've like always a, wanted to go. It sounds amazing. You know, I, I've had people say to me, oh. Venice, so touristy. I never could go. Well, the reason it's so touristy is it's just splendiferously beautiful. Uh, there's there's no, no place, place else like it. Yeah, no. there's no place there's on no earth. There's no place else like it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. I love I agree. Venice. I don't, uh, it, it can be, the crowds can be really overwhelming, but gosh, it's, I'm going to be going there in May and my um, girlfriend from New York is coming over and she's the first time she's, but she, she will have been to Venice and we're mm. going on a gondola. Ah, <laughs> that's great. We'll <laughs> save your them, pennies because that's expensive. I know it is. I know it is, but it's also, it's know, also worth it's Venice. It. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that during the, at the height of the pandemic, there were a bunch of gondoliers who were delivering food uh, to shut, shut in Venetians. So I want to support them, even though it's so damn expensive. And I see that there, just a a program note, I see that there are a bunch of listeners who I think are listening through the website rather than through the app, which is kind of breaking my heart because we won't be able to get your questions. I don't believe there's a way you can raise your hand, but if you come back sometime in the future and want to ask questions, uh, you, you'll need to put, create a profile on call in to do so, but I invite you to do so. Elizabeth, before I let you go, you wrote a charming Mm -hmm. article a couple of years back on food rules in Italy. Can you go through what some of the rules were? Some, Uh, some were very surprising to me. Yeah. uh, Well, there's the no, first of all, the biggie is out the no cappuccino after 11 AM, you know, because Italians do only drink cappuccino as a morning drink. So you are branded a tourist. If you order a cappuccino, you know, after lunch or as an Hmm. after dinner drink, I mean, I say order your cappuccino when you want your cappuccino. Um, But if you want to blend in, you have your last cappuccino definitely by 11 a.m. Is there a Um, reason for that? Do you know? Milk is – the reason behind it is because milk is considered a little bit hard to digest. So if you drink milk after a big meal, you, um, you won't digest well. Fascinating. So, okay. A, uh, so many rules in Italy, so many food rules in Italy have to do with digestion. There's a whole sort of <laughs> preoccupation here. I would say um, the no sharing rule. I mean, I remember one time a group of six or eight of us, these are my early days of visiting Italy, walked into a restaurant in Trastevere and we all shared like five plates of pasta. And right. we must have just, <laughs> I, I can't imagine what they were saying about us back in the kitchen. Um, cause it just isn't done. I right. mean, better to leave food on your plate than share, um, unless you're, you know, under 10 years old or maybe over 80 or something. That makes it, done. that makes it hard to be a travel writer. Cause I always invite people out to dinner with me to, you know, tr- so I can pick off their plates. Cause right. if I have to eat oh, that much taste. to try enough things. Yeah. You can taste other people's food, but ah. you just can't split portions, let's say. You can't say, oh, well, we'll just get one plate of pasta in two for the two of us. Or something like, no, 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 no. That's just not, it's just not done. Interesting. Um, yeah. 
You know, there's a lot of things that just, like, I've become very accepting of it because it's like, eh, it's not the way we do it here. It's like, okay. Huh. Win in Rome, you know, win in Italy. Well, if you're invited to somebody's house, are there some mm-hmm. rules governing that? If you're invited uh, to somebody's house, if you are in, with a group at home or even in a restaurant or something, you would wait until the bon appetito is a funny one to get used to. Like you wait until somebody says bon appetito before hmm. you start eating. And it doesn't matter how much food's been piled in front of you. It's like everybody sort of looks around the table and waits for somebody who's going to, you know, make the move and say, bon appetito. And that just lets you get the cue that you can start eating. Um, You wouldn't pour from a bottle. Like if you're filling somebody's water glass or their wine glass, you'd never pour backhanded. Um, So if you can kind of imagine just, you know, tilting your hand. Because this is a sign of a traitor. Um, and this goes back to, um, also like to the sort of the, the, that's how you, if you had a poison ring, that's how you would drop the poison into their drink, right? Because oh. your little latch would pop open on your ring and there may be other reasons behind it, but that's space. That's one of the ideas behind it. This is a sign of a traitor. If you, if wow. you are backhanded pouring. So be wary of that. Now back um, to the Bon Appetito. Yeah. Does somebody in particular have to say it? Is it the host or can anybody blurt no. out Bon Appetito? Anybody can say it. And I think it's just whoever is the most hungry, you know, uh, <laughs> says it. So it could, it could be anyone. I mean, I guess if you were, if you were a guest in somebody's house, you might, I don't know, I mean, would you wait for them? It would It de- would depend on how familiar you are in the situation, hmm. I think. Like if I was going to the home of someone oh, I'd never eaten at their home before or didn't know them that well, I would definitely wait until somebody else said it. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's it's a charming article. And uh, Liz, as I said at the very beginning, has a wonderful book out. It's called Fromer's Easy Guide to Rome, Florence, and Venice. Uh, I hope sometime soon I can be back in Italy so I can oh, take I you out that. for a meal and pick from your plate and appall everybody in the vicinity. <laughs> I will not pour your wine backhanded. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. That's job security, Pauline. I can't pour your wine out. (laughs) Right. Um, So we're going to say goodbye for this week. We thank everybody for listening. And to those who are traveling, may I wish you a hearty, well, I always say a hearty bon voyage. I think I should say a hearty buon viaggio. Did I say that right, Liz? We would say buon viaggio. And we would say, to say welcome back, we'd say bentornate. Bentornate. So so next week, bentornate. Right now, buon viaggio. See you next week.